But if you haven't seen it, it's a film about a, a green ogre. And one of the scenes in it um, involves this guy called Shrek. Guy? Ogre? He's talking to another character who happens to be a donkey. And he's trying to explain to him what ogres are like. And the best analogy he can think of is that ogres are like onions, which initially causes a little bit of a confusion for the donkey until Shrek explains that ogres are like onions because onions have layers, and ogres apparently also have layers. Now, I would say that the Bible is also like onions. <laughs> Because the Bible also has layers. When we are reading stories in the Bible, so often there is more happening than meets the eye. And as we start to um, unpack things and dig a little deeper, we can find bigger narratives and bigger stories that are being told. And this story that we're going to look at today is one of those stories uh, where it's a story of Israel being saved by God a long time ago in a very specific place, in a very specific way. But I would like us to see this morning how this is also the story of how God saves all of us, how this is our story. So to catch up, we are in the book of Exodus, as you can see by our lovely graphic. Um, and we've seen so far how the people of Israel have been enslaved in the land of Egypt. And God, uh, we saw a couple of weeks ago, began to send some plagues, these signs and wonders to demonstrate his power and his glory and to lead the people out. And then last week we saw this triumphal exit as um, God instructed the people to kill a Passover lamb, paint its blood on their door, and then they all walked out through these um, bloody doorways into freedom. Two million people all walking out of slavery, on foot, out of the land of Egypt. And what happens next is they are taken by God, led by this like pillar of fire and cloud, taken down to the Red Sea, which is where God then told them to camp. And then there's a bit of a plot twist, because then the Egyptians that had let them go change their mind and decide, actually, we do not want our slaves just walking out into the wherever it is they're going. We're not okay with that. And we're very angry about it, is what they think. Um, so that's where we're going to pick up the story this morning. We're, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 14, and we're going to start in verse 9. So I'll read it out. It'll also be on the screens behind me. It says that the Egyptians, ah, the Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamped at the sea by Pahiroth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. 
For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Now this cry from the Egyptians, no, the Israelites, to Moses of what have you done? Is it because is it there are no graves in Egypt that you've brought us here? That cry might seem to us a little bit overdramatic. It might seem a little bit um, silly for a people who have just witnessed the mighty power of God who is able to draw them out of the land of their slavery to now immediately be saying this, we were better off in Egypt line. Um, but imagine, imagine how terrifying this situation actually was for them. All of these two million people had walked out. They were on foot. They were not soldiers. They had been slaves. They are with their uh, children. They're with cattle. And pursuing them is this army of perhaps the strongest nation in the world. And they are pursuing them with horses and chariots, weapons, and they are, they are coming with vengeance, looking, looking for death, looking to kill these Israelite slaves who have dared to walk out. And as they are pursued by this army, they have nowhere to go. They are absolutely trapped against the waters of the Red Sea. They, the, the Egyptians completely are surrounding them here on one side. And on the other side, there is only water that they know that they cannot cross. If they try to, they will drown. And as they stand looking out over one side, the enemy that is coming for them, and on the other side, the waters that would drown them, and they're looking around at their family, realizing all of these people that I love are going to die tonight. Either we will be slaughtered or we will drown, but this is not going to end well. They've got nowhere to go. This cry doesn't look quite so silly anymore especially because God had led them here. This was the route that God had chosen that they would go on. As they came out of Egypt, it would have been like a triumphal exit, and they were following this huge pillar of fire and cloud, as I said. And he led them, it seems, into this trap. And don't we sometimes find ourselves kind of feeling the same, of thinking like, thinking that we've been set free, thinking that God has done a work or like led us out of something, only to find a little bit later that actually we still feel trapped, maybe worse off before, maybe nothing has changed at all, maybe we feel right back in that place of like unfreedom. That's not a word, let's go with it. Um, like don't, don't we feel sometimes familiar with this feeling of like, God, I thought you'd led me out. I thought you'd freed me. And now it looks like I'm going to die. Hopefully not looks like I'm going to die, but that vibe. It is in that place that we need to hear those same words that Moses spoke to the people. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. There's actually more happening here than just a people who are trapped by the sea between an army and the waters. Um, just as I was saying, the Bible, the way it works sometimes is it builds on top of itself. It pulls on threads and themes. And one of the ways that we can notice when that's happening as we're reading the Bible is if there are like elements or ideas that keep popping up again and again, pay attention to those, especially if they keep popping up kind of in the same way, kind of a similar things happening each time. Uh, there are some things that have popped up before this story that I would like, like us to see. And for us to see them, I'm actually going to zoom out now. 
and we're going to go right back to the beginning and we're going to look at a couple of stories that come before this one. And as we look at them, I want you to pay particular attention to what is happening to the water. So the first story we're going to look at is the story of creation, right at the beginning of the Bible. We're going back to Genesis 1, verse 1. And as I'm just going to read a few verses from it, and as I do, listen to what is happening to the water. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So we're told here that the, the earth, the, like as formed at the moment, has a few characteristics. We're told it's formless and it's void. Or another way of saying that is it's chaotic and it's empty. And we're told there are two things. There is water and there is darkness. But there's something else. The Spirit of God that is hovering over the waters. Now that word spirit is an important word. In Hebrew, it's ruach. If you are a note taker, write that down because it's going to come up again. It can be translated as spirit, but it can also be translated as breath or wind. So here we are right at the beginning of creation and the breath of God, the wind of God, the spirit of God is hovering, poised, ready to begin this creating work of bringing order and life out of the water. And as we move on, God says, let there be light on the first day. And then on the second day, what God says is, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And then on the third day, God says, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. As God begins creating... He spends one day, the first day, creating light to drive away the darkness. But then he spends the next two days separating waters. Two of them. That's significant. I'm going to move on, but um, remember that. <laughs> uh, the next story I'd love for us to look at really quickly is the story of Noah and the ark. Again, it might be a story that you are familiar with, that story of the animals coming two by two onto that big boat. But what's happening there is God has seen the evil and rebellion of humanity, and he sees that it's just getting worse and worse and worse, and he decides that he must put a stop to it. And the way that he decides to do that is by sending a flood. And he says, again, pay attention to the waters. <laughs> On that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The water prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. In this story, water is being used as God's agent of judgment and of death. But as we move on through this story, it says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. 
And God made a wind. There's that word ruach again. God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually. Doesn't that sound a little bit like creation again? The ruach is back, blowing this wind over the waters and as he does, the waters are separating. Now we're going to head right back to our Israelites, trapped by the sea. Trapped between the enemy that wants to kill them and these waters, which now we might be able to recognize are representative not just of water, but of chaos, of judgment, of death. They are trapped between death on one side and death on the other. The choice really here for them would have been either be slaughtered or drowned. And this, this is the situation of all humanity. Because you see, sin is a power. It is a power that pursues us. It is a power that would keep us enslaved. It is a power that would want to kill us, bring us and keep us in the land of death. But how can we escape from this power that is pursuing us? Because, because of our evil and our rebellion, we are trapped against the waters of God's judgment and of death. We can't escape his righteous judgment through our good works. We can't escape it through our effort. We can't escape it by like, trying our best and trying to be righteous. We have no way through his judgment without drowning. We have no way out. This is a hopeless situation, and it is a situation of all humanity. Not one person will be able to find their way out of this situation, trapped between the enemy that would kill them and the wrath and the judgment that would drown them. But it is into this place of darkness and despair and hopelessness that God comes, just as we saw this morning. He is the God that loves to come to us, the God that turns up. Listen to how he comes in this story. Verse 21 says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night. There's the Ruach again. (laughs) He's returned. And he made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Do you see the Ruach has come back? God's spirit has come back. And he is doing that same work that he has always been doing of separating those waters, of making something new, of creating dry land, And as he does it, as he pushes back these waters in this work that he is so good at doing, he makes a way for the people of Israel, or the Israelites, to walk into the midst of the sea. Now, this would not have been like walking along the tide as it like gently laps along beside us. This, it says, is walking between these huge walls of water Imagine, imagine stepping in to this place of like 
like this huge wall here and this huge wall here, this water that would kill you, that is powerful and probably surging, this water that could be your destruction looming over you on either side, and it is into that that is your escape route. Imagine taking that first step in. Imagine taking that 50th step and being like, there's no turning back now, I'm in it. This doesn't necessarily look like a safe path. I wonder if the Israelites would have actually taken that route had they not been being pursued by an enemy. But even as they walk through this, through this water, they walk the whole way on dry land. They are not touched by the waters that would be their destruction the whole way. And this isn't a coincidence as well that this looks a bit like creation. This is a very deliberate echo of the waters being pushed back and making the dry land that God is like layering in. Because these people, as they walk through this place to the other side and into freedom, they are to recognize that this is a creating work God is doing. They are to see themselves as new. They are to see that they have left behind their old selves. They are no longer slaves. That is not going to be their identity anymore. And not only have they left behind their old selves to step into this new people, they have been completely cut off from who they were. Because listen, as they go through and as, as the Egyptians pursue them into the waters, it says in verse 27 <laughs> that Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, all of the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Look how, as they are brought through, as they are brought through this, like into the midst of the waters and delivered safely, it is by this same work that their enemy is defeated, that their enemy is no more, the enemy is no longer able to get to them, and also as the waters close up behind them, they are fully cut off from Egypt, from the land of their slavery and from the land of death. They cannot return there. They are cut off. They are new. This, this is the story that we tell when we get baptized. This story of passing through waters of death and into new life, into the midst of death, into the midst of this judgment of like waters and being pulled out, drawn out. This is the story we tell of new creation. This is the story we tell of an enemy who has been defeated. This is the story we tell of us being separated from death, cut off. Baptism, then, is not something that people do when they've earned enough faith points to get through. It's not something that we do when we re like, decide that we're good enough now to get baptized. Baptism is something we do when we recognize that we are trapped between an enemy and trapped between the wrath of God that we can't get through, and we realize we need a way out. Baptism is what we do when we hear, when we cry out to God and when we hear those words that Moses spoke. 
covered them up now. (laughs) Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. This is the journey we take at the beginning of our faith as we pass through death into life. If you haven't been baptised, just as an aside, we're doing them next week, as Duncan said in the notices. So if you would like to do this, if you would like to tell this story again, come and speak to me, come and speak to Duncan. We would love to get you involved. Because you see, this, this story, this is the hope for humanity. This is the way through. This is the way out. And I hear you asking, how? (laughs) The way that this is our hope is because Jesus has died. And as he died, we were joined with him, just as we were singing earlier, united fully to him. And that means that we were united to him in death, and that means that death cannot touch us anymore. Paul describes it in Romans 6, verse 3, he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we, too, might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Jesus died so that we never have to face death. Jesus willingly entered death. He willingly entered the waters so that we are able to pass fully through them all the way on dry ground unable to be touched by this death that would come for us. Jesus was pierced by our enemy that was pursuing us. Jesus bore God's wrath for our rebellion so that there is none left for us now. We can cross through because the death has already happened. The wrath is satisfied. Jesus died so that now we are safe We are free, and we can be confident that that this story is our story. We can be confident that salvation has been won for us because we can look back at that story of us passing through the waters and see that we are safely on the other side, and we are cut off from death, and we cannot return. Um, I'm just going to invite the band back up now. (laughs) Um, Don't worry about that. This story, this is the story that we speak to ourselves. This is the story that we can speak to our anxieties. This is the story that we can speak to ourselves when we're wondering, have we really been saved? Have I really done enough this week? Am I really counted righteous before God? In that place, we tell this story to ourselves that we have been baptized, we have passed through the waters, We have gone through the, like, new creating work. We've been drawn out, and it does not need to happen again. We're saved. This is the story that we can speak into that fear of death 
or illness or disease that maybe still lingers, that we really have been united to Christ in his death. And because of that, death cannot touch us. Even as we pass through it, we will find that we are united with him in resurrection. (laughs) Because if we have been united with him in death, we can confidently speak to ourselves that we shall certainly be united with him in resurrection. This is the story that we can tell ourselves in that place where we think that God has set us free from something and then we find that we are like scared, doubting again, back to where we were, back to a place of feeling unfree again. This is the story we speak that our enemy has been destroyed, that Jesus was victorious, that we are free and we have been cut off from the land of our death. God has made a way through the waters. And because of that, we have been saved.